creativity, hustlers, fakers, and thieves. Creativity is not the province of just a chosen few. Those who fear they have nothing to say or that it's all been said before can also grab the fire. But our ideas about practice, quality, or failure shape our work. New artists, working artists, strugglers, those who have been at it all their lives grapple with these same concepts. This is the heart of our endeavor, finding the different and similar ways that artists work to be creative on creativity, hustlers, fakers, and thieves. Welcome. This is Gary Rogowski. I am joined by my apprentice, Ali Megdadi. Hello, Ali. Hello, Gary. This episode, I'm going to talk about the concept of precision, and I'm going to talk with Patrick Edwards, a man from the 18th century, <laughs> or so it seems. I, I call him that because Patrick is involved with a form of woodworking called marquetry, which is centuries old, but had a resurgence in the 18th century in France, and he practices the French boule style of marquetry that he learned in Paris. He takes veneers, thinner than a piece of shirt cardboard, very thin pieces of wood, and, and cuts them up on a special type of saw to make these amazing pictures in wood. He creates these beautiful, astonishing floral and geometric images to decorate all types of furniture, from tables to clocks and chairs. When I first talked to him about the idea of discussing precision with me, he, he said, what's so great about 90 degrees? <laughs> I went, well, you have a good point. But his exquisite work does show some extremely precise details. How does precision impact our work? And how does it change over time as someone gains experience? I know that this idea has changed for me. Ali, how has it changed for you, having now spent a few years at the bench? Yes, uh, it's changed very much, simply because I've gotten better. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that when you're first starting out, how much precision you're capable of or how much is required, right? When you're doing simpler stuff, you don't necessarily need to be at that one thousandth or ten thousandth of a, you know, of a degree of perfection. You know, you're not holding it up to the light, you know, to see if there's just a glint of sunlight coming through. No, I get that. As our skills increase, as our practice time grows in hours to months to years, we get better. There's no question. But how does a master in his field feel about this idea? Let's get... Patrick's take on this subject. Hi, this is Gary Rogowski for Creativity, Hustlers, Fakers, and Thieves. I am pleased and honored to have as my guest, Patrick Edwards. Hello, Patrick. How are you? Glad to be here. Great. So, what's on the agenda? Oh, a little conversation. And, you know, we try out some stuff. And Talk about, I'm, I've been very interested in this idea of creativity for a while and how it affects certain people. You're a creative person. I, I try to be, and I know people who want to be and can't seem to find the trigger. I, I would object to you calling me creative because I'm, a, I'm basically a counterfeiter. I don't, 
I don't come up with new ideas. I haven't had a new idea in years. I counterfeit good ideas that I've seen other people do in the past. Uh-huh. I don't know if that's a learning process actually as a technique, but the fact is I, if you ask me to freehand draw an image that I had in my mind, I couldn't do it or freehand <laughs> play some music without the score. I couldn't do it or mm -hmm. come up with some creative idea. You know, is it anything I come up with? would be 100% embedded previous ideas. Absolutely. I, I That's why I don't do contemporary furniture. <laughs> if I did a contemporary piece, it would look like something uh, Wendell Castle did or Maloof did or any uh, Tade Fridge or any of the guys I know exist doing contemporary furniture. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be mine, you know? I I believe that. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's the challenge for you. Prove I'm a creative person. <laughs> Here's a quote. I, I, my browser uh, opens every morning to uh, a site by a guy named Anu Garg. He's up in Seattle, and it's called oh. Word, Word a Day. Hmm. So this is a quote from John W. Gardner, author and leader. Never heard of him. We must learn to honor excellence in every socially accepted human activity, however humble the activity, and to scorn shoddiness, however exalted the activity. An excellent plumber is infinitely more admirable than an incompetent philosopher. The society that scorns excellence in plumbing because plumbing is a humble activity and tolerates shoddiness in philosophy because it is an exalted activity will have neither good plumbing nor good philosophy. Hmm. Neither its pipes nor its theories will hold water. <sighs> that's the metaphor. Yeah. yeah. And that's the, I think that a plumber needs to be creative. That's my broad definition of creativity. You get, <laughs> you get faced with a problem. You're under the sink. You only have these tools with you. You need to solve the problem. Yeah. Fine. Well, problem solving, I can understand that being, um, a challenge that's solved by creative thinking. Absolutely. That's, that's something I face every day when I fix a broken chair or some other sure. object that's been badly repaired and poorly designed mm -hmm. because you can only do so much with a bad design. It's going to fail no matter what you do. Right. And uh, if you have the parameters of a furniture conservator, everything has to be within those limits of originality and intent and aesthetic appeal. And so you are constrained by those parameters and still you have to make it work. You, you know, the client wants to sit in the chair. Right. And the client weighs 350 pounds and likes to lean back after dinner with a drink. So, <laughs> you know, those are that, that is, um, the extent of my creativity in a design field. I got zero. I got zero. I know good design when I see it. It's like pornography. I know it when I see it. <laughs> and I have a great eye for great design. And the pieces I've made that have got me all this fame, those were great pieces to begin with that I just copied. Mm -hmm. There is a whole branch of art called uh, classical music. Yeah. And there's not a handful of people who improvise classical music. That's me. I, I play classical music. I'm in an orchestra and I, I can't. If you take the music away, I can't play. Right. 
and that's not a creative act well no that's that's reading words out of a a great book you have a, a dickens in front of you and you can read the words is no different than putting Tchaikovsky in front of you and you play the music. Yes, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can put inflection into the words. You can put tone and all that. Same thing with music. So how large is, how large is your orchestra that you play? Oh, it's about 60 people. It's a big orchestra. Big orchestra. And there's, there's a woodwind section. There's a oh, yeah. oh, yeah. We got bassoons. We got timpani. We got the whole thing. I'm in the viola section. Kristen's in the cello section. Uh-huh. And we sit five feet apart. <laughs> and my point is that that effort, which I consider to be a creative one, is different on a different scale than if it were a kazoo band, let's say. Mm, yeah. I mean, I... You change the music by how it's played. You ch the, the music is changed by the director. Um, yeah. However, you take you take a good jazz group. They're improvisational. They're playing jazz licks that they put together, and it's not written down, but they all end up in, at the same point, right? Because they practiced. understand the jazz. It's practice, though. Yeah. This doesn't. Sure. This does. I mean, some of it does come at the moment. A note here or there, and it may be a phrase, but improvisation is also practice. I don't think it's... Well, I'll tell you this. Both of those exercises take a risk. And going back to Pi, my life has been the workmanship of risk. And music is a great example of taking a risk, especially if you're playing an instrument with no frets. Right. You right. put your finger down as sharp or flat. That's a risk. Right. So you just referred to David Pi. Yeah. And his book, uh, The Nature and... The Nature and Art of Workmanship. It was 68, 1968. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. We're, we're in my online group, online mastery group. We're talking about the nature and aesthetics of design. But yeah, there is, there's a lot of, uh, risk involved in, in uh, being on stage. I always love the quote by Yo-Yo Ma saying, uh, he didn't relax until he had made his first mistake on stage <laughs> and no one would notice. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Kristen wouldn't notice. <laughs> Or if she did, she would go, oh, that's Yo-Yo Ma. You let that go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who was it? Oh, it was Fred Astaire who said, uh, you know, when you get to be a certain age, your mistakes become your style. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, that really is true. However, like, a flat note is still a flat note. Yeah, that's true. And here we go. What do you think it takes to master a, a playing a Beethoven quartet? Wouldn't it well, be it, precision? Um. No, it's more intimate than that. Huh? When you're in a quartet, you breathe together. You 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 understand each other's movements. Just uh, peripheral vision and and everything comes into account. How do you come? How do you phrase everything sympathetically with the mm -hmm. other people? There's only three other voices with you, mm -hmm. and you can't stand out. You can't disappear. You have right. to be equal. So as the as the emotion of the piece rises and falls, everybody has to understand it. And you don't realize it unless you've played in a quartet, but they begin breathing together. And, and, uh, you hear among the group, not, uh, not in the audience, but among the group, you'll hear the cellist go. And that's your way. That's your way of knowing that he's ready to come in and you respond huh. to that. It's the most intimate 
thing I've ever seen. Huh, interesting. In a public or in a public stage. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're arguing my point. I want to thank you for that. <laughs> like minds, you know. When I first started, I tried to be so precise. I would spend a half an hour setting up my joiner. Oh. Hmm. And now I look at it and go, yeah, okay, whatever. I just, I barely, barely set things up because I know how to fix things. Yeah. Uh, and and I also know a couple little tricks about that tool. So I'm more precise as I'm as I've gotten older and sloppier. It's interesting. Uh, you're trying so hard when you first start out to be, you know, Nat's ass perfect, and it's impossible. You just don't know enough. I never I never had that experience. Um, no, no, I was just like, let's get it done. Um, how is it done? Let's do it. Um, and I used to, I used to tell people the difference because I lectured an awful lot and I would tell people the difference between an amateur and a professional is they both make mistakes, but the professional knows how to fix it. Mm -hmm. and that, that's just what you suggested is, uh, you know, you, you, you just in the enthusiasm of trying to do something, everybody makes mistakes, but a professional says, I understand from the mistake. I can learn from this and I'll know how to fix it. Like Pi says, you, the simplistic approach to those two choices of risk and certainty is the relationship between the worker, the tool and the material, which are the three things that are involved. And so with Pi, the worker holds the tool and pushes it against the material. With certainty, you hold the material and feed it into the tool. And so the, the relationship is changed. Which means in my world, you pick up a back saw or a chisel or any kind of tool like that. You have to master the tool, which is in your hand. For me, it's installing upholstery tacks on an 18th century Bergier chair along the edge of the gilded frame where I have to hammer the tacks in without hitting the frame, right. without hitting the gold or right. my fingers or something like that. A lot of people don't know how to hit hammer. Everybody uses a hammer. It's a simple tool, but the more variables you put into the hammering, the more likely it is you're going to miss the nail. So an upholstery hammer has a curved head, which mm -hmm. is the radius that you have to have for the arc, which right. means you hold your arm against your body and your pivot point is your wrist. Right. And that eliminates any other deviation for the hammering. Now that's completely different for carpentry where your arm becomes the right. radius, but, right. but people, they don't understand a simple tool like a hammer and the, and the physics of how the mechanics of how the damn thing works uh, properly, you know, and they end up hitting their fingers. I find that there are so many similarities between um, different fields of endeavor and, and this need for precision in, but I, I think sloppy work shows. And I well, just, it'll fail. I, I hate it. I can't let it out of my shop. If, if you don't have time to do it right, when will you have time to do it over? <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good that one. That goes back to my physics days. Oh, yeah. My, my quote these days is slow down. I'm in a hurry. <laughs> that usually helps because when I'm, when I'm speeding up and bad things happen, you are a historian, trained conservator. In yeah. the Boole technique of marquetry? Yep. I think I'm a 
my partner and I are the the best in this country for French marquetry techniques. Mm -hmm. I think we are. Me, I just tell people I'm a furniture conservator in private practice, which leaves it open to whatever I want it to be. Right. But furniture conservation is my business. Do you work with museums? I work for museums, but not I'm not employed by them. Uh-huh. That's where the independent practice comes in. Right. I just watched this movie I'd, I'd heard about, but I'd never seen. The Red Violin. Oh, it's a good movie. Well, n- now, your idea of precision comes into play when you are a luthier. That matters. Raising the bridge a half a millimeter, uh, the adjustment of the angle of the fingerboard, everything about an instrument requires absolute precision. And and yet, the first time I saw a violin maker, Paul Schubach, at his, his shop in Portland, use a small violin maker's toothing plate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was it was like he had an ads like a wink a wink a wink. He was well, that, that's that's what you do with Tuesday planes. <laughs> hammering away at the inside of the of the yeah. back to thin it up to the proper. Yeah. Thing. yeah. Uh, but I was just astonished. I thought, oh, it'd be always careful, precise strokes. Yeah. That was save the precise strokes for creating the scroll. You have a massive library. I will call it massive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your, that's uh, that's just one wall of books. Right. Uh, and I and I thought, you know, well, I have a pretty good library. And I came to your shop and looked and went, no, I don't. Nah, I don't. I have a similar library at home, which is not marquetry or woodworking, but it's rare books. Uh-huh. How do you pass this along? Boy, I don't know. Um, I have Patrice, who is uh, uh, my partner and, and half my age, and he's quite good at what he does. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have my students that... Five percent of them may become, you know, professional marquetry people. And at some point, Patrice and I are going to write the book we've always promised to write. Uh, that's why I'm envious of you having done so. On oh, it'll, it'll be about French marquetry and the history of marquetry from a from a maker's standpoint. Uh-huh. It's an enormous undertaking, I can tell you that. Yeah, uh, and uh, worth doing, but it is it takes over your life. I think that once you get the hang of your art, your mm-hmm. craft, that, that precision walks with you, whether you <laughs> want to acknowledge it or not, that yeah. through everything that you do, it's just, and that's what informs craftsmanship, I think, uh, well, is that sense of doing it right, doing it better each time if you can, and staying very precise. That's how you get to the, the results that you're at. Yeah. I would be remiss if I did not ask you those. Which of those descriptive nouns uh, best fits you? Are you a hustler, a faker, or a thief? Ah, uh, <laughs> if I if I admit to stealing designs from previous uh, masters, I'm a thief. Well, I, I I don't think we're we're born with these ideas in our head. We open our eyes. We're we're mimickers. I only steal from dead people, and. Only steal from dead people who have also great. Stole, stolen Only steal from, from famous dead people. <laughs> well, thanks very much for chatting today. I really appreciate your time, and uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, we should do this more often. Okay. I'm I game. Don't, I, I don't mind. It's no pain off my back. Yeah. But it's good talking to you, Gary. Thanks, Patrick. This was okay. fun. Okay. I'm going to sign off now. All right. Me too. Bye-bye. Adios.
Well, that was my interview with Patrick Edwards, an incredible woodworker, cartouche award winner from the Society of American Period Furniture Makers, well recognized as an expert in the field of of marquetry, and yet sidestepping the issue of creativity and precision. I found that quite interesting. Ali, what did you think? Yeah. Well, I'll say this, you know, when he was saying that at the beginning of the interview, he's like, oh, I'm not creative. I'm just, you know, doing stuff that's already been done. It's like, well, yes, we're all just making chairs and tables. We're all doing stuff that's already been done. But you decided to pick the hardest stuff that's ever been done and do it in the most <laughs> immaculate way that nobody else does. And it's just like this. It's like, I appreciate your humility. And it's and it's really nice, you know, in the age of the Instagram narcissism and all of that to have somebody who's just being like, look, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not, I'm not anything special, you know, in that creative sense. Uh, I, I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm just carrying on a tradition. And I thought that was a really interesting possibility of the way that you can look at, you know, the interpretation of tradition and how you do it. Yes, but one continuing theme I think we, we find is the value of, of doing this work, whether you consider your work creative or not. The value of working with our hands on, on these objects confers something onto the, onto the maker. And even through the struggles and the mistakes that we make, the failures that occur, it helps us to make sense of this world. The farther away we get from actual physical doing, the harder it is for us to remain sane. I won't say we're becoming less human now, but we are becoming less sane. We're allowing so much stuff to push into our lives now that was unthinkable 20 years ago. Ali, your thoughts? I think it's a good point. I think that, that that's a broader theme that's that's overriding a lot of these conversations is how the work that we're, you know, we're trying to highlight and the people that are doing this stuff are part of longstanding traditions and they are exploring them in still very tactile ways. And they might be a dying breed. Um, yeah, probably are. But even so, I will continue to argue for the value of doing this creative work. Here's a quote from my book, Handmade. The pace of walking is suited to our way of thinking. It is the rate at which we are supposed to be thinking. I believe we evolved as animals who climbed trees and strode across the prairies, who walked from one camp or city to the next until we learned to ride on animals or on one another, on conveyances. Wendell Berry in An Entrance to the Woods says, our senses, after all, were developed to function at foot speeds, and the transition from foot travel to motor travel in terms of evolutionary time has been abrupt. The faster one goes, the more strain there is on the senses, the more they fail to take in, the more confusion they must tolerate or gloss over, and the longer it takes to bring the mind to a stop in the presence of anything. Thank you for listening. This has been Gary Rogowski. My thanks to Ali, and a particular thanks to Patrick Edwards for joining me today. Please check out his website, wpatrickedwards.com. We'll have links to his, his place as well on our website. 
creativity-hft.com. And please join us for a creative conversation this Sunday, January 7th at 1 p.m. Pacific time on Zoom. Ali and I, my apprentice and I, will further discuss this topic of precision and how it relates to creativity. This should be good fun. Catch the one-hour live stream on Zoom, and there will be a link posted on our website, creativity-hft.com, to get you there. And if you miss this live stream, it will also be posted later on YouTube on the Northwest Woodworking Studio YouTube channel. That's Northwest Woodworking Studio, all spelled out. Thanks very much for joining us on Creativity, Hustlers, Fakers, and Thieves. Mm -hmm.